Hey friends, welcome to the Axiom Church Podcast. We're so glad you decided to join us and check out our episode. Um, this is a space where we post our, our Sunday sermons and occasionally we have discussions and conversations regarding life in this community and following Jesus. So thank you for listening and please engage us on our website axiomchurchaz.com or on any of our social medias. We'd love to hear from you. Take care. I love watching the past the peace. That's like a lot of fun. Uh, if we haven't met, my name's Denise Dines. I've called Axiom home for a good long while and sometimes I teach. Like right now would be one of those times that I teach. But I'm curious, did, did Micah say happy birthday, Cody? Well, happy birthday, Cody. What's funny, though, is it was also just Kobe's birthday. I don't know. There's something about that. Happy birthday, Cody and Kobe. Uh, We are wrapping up our summer in Acts. We've been actually going through the book of Acts for a while. We we camp for a little while, and then we do something else. We'll come back. So we'll come back to it. We've been going through it this summer, and we've been going through the story about Stephen. And it's been, I don't know how many weeks, maybe six weeks or something, Um, Eric Schenk taught when we jumped right back in, and he said something when he was teaching about Stephen when Stephen was arrested that has just stuck with me. I don't know, it kind of, it bothered me, you know, but in a welcome way, it's just been a pebble in my shoe, and it's, it's this idea. He said, if we are living the kingdom way with Jesus, which is a way of love and compassion healing, all all good things, you know, people were taking care of one another, right? Wouldn't that be met with applause? Wouldn't people be like, thank you, this, yes, this is what the world has been missing, thank you. But that wasn't the case for Stephen, and and we'll see, he isn't just arrested, (laughs) things don't go well for him, you know, and it's very odd, and and Eric kind of introduced this idea that while the kingdom of God, the the capital K kingdom, (laughs) is established. It is rooted. It's forever. Nothing can shake it. But we still live in a time where there are opposing lowercase k kingdoms. And when those are threatened by the kingdom of God, doesn't always go well doesn't always go well. And the thing is, there are lots of different lowercase k kingdoms, right? I mean, in in the story with Stephen, it's the Sanhedrin, which is like the religious leaders. They had a a kingdom in place. They had a way of life and some power, and and that was threatened. But we all have our own little mini kingdoms, right? And it's okay to feel threatened when the kingdom of Jesus brushes up against it, because feeling threatened is just a feeling, and feelings are part of being human. The question is, what do you do with that? What do you do with that feeling threatened? And and there are two vastly different responses when our kingdoms are threatened. And we see here in the story of, of, of Stephen a worst case scenario. And it was it's not rare, but it's a worst case scenario. And frankly, I don't like it. It makes me uncomfortable. I'm the kind of person that I just want us all to get along. I like the idea of let's all just sing kumbaya, and if the heat starts to rise, I lay low. I let angry people sort it out, and I'd like to disappear. 
And so it's tempting for someone like me to think, ah, the way of Jesus is going to be like gentle and kind and peace-filled. This is the fruit of the Spirit. This is the way he was. That is going to be the perfect thing for me to feel safe and lay low because it'll be received well. And then Stephen comes in and, and shatters my fantasy that the way of Jesus isn't always met with the way of Jesus. Kindness isn't always met with kindness. And so even though his story does bring up some discomfort in me, I think, I know now I can welcome it. I think we all can welcome the story of Stephen. Because as I got to thinking about this, really, ever since Eric taught, Eric Shank, I just thought, at the end of the day, do I want to waste my time on a faith that isn't going to hold up in the worst case scenario? I have better things to do with my life and my time than live in a fantasy faith. I want the real deal, you know, like Corey Ten Boom or Lord of the Rings. <laughs> I want the real deal. And Stephen is a story that shows what faith looks like in the worst case scenario. And I think we need those stories far more than we need the faith stories of what it's like on an easy day, an easy day. So before we dig into the story, though, I would like to open in prayer. God, I thank you that you are here with us. You have been doing a good work in this community and in the individuals. Lord, you've been doing a good work in us. You promised to carry it to completion. And I trust you that even this experience of this worship service is part of your work. We invite you to make yourself known, to help us with, with things that maybe we have wrong about you. We invite you to, to reveal who you really are, that our faith would stand on who you really are, and, and that you would give the message this morning, not me, that you would be the one speaking to hearts and minds here, that you would get the glory. And we do thank you for Stephen and his life. The, he lived a life with open hands, quite clearly, like that song, and um, just be with us as we, as we dig into it. Amen. Amen. So if you have your Bible, we're going to be um, in Acts 7, if you'd like to follow along. Or if you, have a, if you like it on your phone, or we have it on the screen all as well. But we're going to just um, pick it up in Acts chapter 7, starting in verse 54. Oh, and just to recap, what we've been doing like leading up to this, the different sermons, he just gave a really long speech. <laughs> gave a really long capital S story of the, the events that the Sanhedrin and those in the crowd were quite familiar with. It was their history, what we read in the Old Testament. And he went through it, man. He went through it with power. And he showed them how all of those history events in their life were pointing to and leading to Jesus. And so he just gave this, this big, long story about that. So here we pick it up in 54. When the members of the Sanhedrin heard this, they were furious and gnashed their teeth at him. But Stephen, full of the Holy Spirit, looked up to heaven and saw the glory of God and Jesus standing at the right hand of God. Look, he said, I see heaven open and the Son of Man standing at the right hand of God. As they, as, at this... They covered their ears, and yelling at the top of their voices, they all rushed at him, dragged him out of the city, and began to stone him. Meanwhile, the witnesses laid their coats at the feet of a young man named Saul. 
While they were stoning him, Stephen prayed, Lord Jesus, receive my spirit. And then he fell on his knees and cried out, Lord, do not hold this sin against them. And when he had said this, he fell asleep. And Saul approved of their killing him. On that day, a great persecution broke out against the church in Jerusalem, and all except the apostles were scattered throughout Judea and Samaria. Godly men buried Stephen and mourned deeply for him. But Saul began to destroy the church. Going from house to house, he dragged off both men and women and put them in prison. So Stephen was the very first martyr. And as we see, there's a shift going to happen here in, in the early church. This is where the persecution begins and the church scatters. But I want to start right at the top where it says the members of the Sanhedrin heard this and they were furious and gnashed their teeth. Um, this is the NIV, and there's a little footnote. So the footnote might say this in your version, or if you have a different translation, instead of furious, it might say, cut to the quick. And I, I like that transla translation because it means like, you know, the message he said, it, just, it cut him, it hit home. Well, what's interesting about that is in Acts 2, Peter gives a very similar speech. He, just like Stephen, is speaking to a crowd, and he goes through the history of, of Israel, of the prophets, of all these people, and how, how it was leading up to Christ, and how like, he even said, just like Stephen did, hey, and just like you killed the prophets, you killed Jesus. He, so Peter and Stephen both give this big story, the capital S story, and they throw in that little bit that's sure to anger some people, right? And it says that that crowd was cut to the heart. So both audiences were cut. It struck a nerve. But in Acts 2, it says it cut to the heart, and then they cried out, what do we do? And Peter said, repent and be baptized in the name of Jesus. And 3,000 were added to their number that day. That's as different as you can get in responses. They were both cut deeply by an almost identical message, including the one, you know, like not easy line to, to swallow. Oh, hey, you kill them. You know, totally different responses. And it kind of begs the question, what's going on here? Did, uh, was it the delivery style? You know, did Stephen not know how to read the room? What was happening? And I think an answer to that is in 2 Corinthians. So we're going to pull up, yep, 2 Corinthians 2, let's see, 14 says, But thanks be to God, who always leads us as captives in Christ's triumphal procession and uses us to spread the aroma of the knowledge of Christ everywhere. For we are to God the pleasing aroma of Christ among those who are being saved and those who are perishing. To one, here it is, to one we are an aroma that brings death. To the other, an aroma that brings life. I mean, do you, do you hear that? To, to one crowd or, or, or person, we, we stink. <laughs> it's repulsive. To another, it's just this wonderful, enticing aroma. Hallelujah. But then it goes on and it says, who's equal to such a task? Unlike so many, we do not peddle the word of God for profit. On the contrary, in Christ, we speak before God with sincerity as those sent from God. 
So in other words, it wasn't delivery style because Peter and Stephen were not peddling the word of God for profit. They weren't working as his PR team trying to elicit a certain response. They were just being sincere in sharing the kingdom. And there were two vastly different responses. See, it's interesting, too. I, I want to be clear that it wasn't, in my, I believe, it was not just, in fact, I know, it wasn't just the message that was so um, stinky <laughs> to the crowd or so enticing to the one in, in Acts 2. It was the kingdom. And the kingdom is not what you say on your lips. See, Stephen wasn't arrested for his speech. He was arrested for what he was doing. What he was doing is what Christ said when he sent out his disciples. Hey, go, go proclaim that the kingdom has come. Heal the sick, you know, cast out demons. Basically, do all these loving, compassionate, unifying acts in the name of Jesus, in the name of the kingdom. And that's what got him arrested. He also was speaking the kingdom, yes. But it is the, the kingdom itself, the person of Christ, that has that aroma that is enticing or repulsive. And how, how can that be that it's so, so um, how can the good, peaceful kingdom of God hurt when it bumps into you? And, and I think of, a, again, the rich young ruler. I don't even remember if you remember there's a man who came up to Jesus, and he was like, oh, can you tell me what I must do to inherit the kingdom? You know, I've been, I've been following all the laws. I've, I've been a good person my whole life. And Jesus looked at this man with compassion. Because he knew something about him. He knew he was very wealthy and his possessions were owning him. And he said, oh, well, there's one thing you must do. Sell all your possessions and give to the poor. And then come and follow me. And that man walked away sad. See, sometimes the kingdom of God, it, it can hurt when you come up against it. And I think a, a good explanation for this, a good is in Hebrews. I want to take a look at this verse. Hebrews 4, verse 12. I'm going to find it. For the word of God is alive and active, sharper than any double-edged sword. It penetrates even to dividing soul and spirits, joints and marrow. It judges the thoughts and attitudes of the heart. Nothing in all creation is hidden from God's sight. Everything is uncovered and laid bare before the eyes of him to whom we must give an account. Now, I, I was taught about this verse, the word of God, as is, is being this here, and it is, okay? I believe that. The word of God is alive and active. But that, that translation word, that's logos. You know where else that word is used? In John 1, to, to name the person of Jesus for the word, the logos became flesh and came into the world. So listen to this as well. For Christ is alive and active, sharper than any double-edged sword. Christ penetrates even to dividing soul and spirit, joints and marrow. Christ judges thoughts and attitudes of the heart. Nothing in all of creation is hidden from God's sight. Everything is uncovered and laid bare before the eyes of him to him who we must give an account. I think that the person of Jesus and, and the person of Jesus, the church is called the body of Christ, right? This is where he manifests himself in the kingdom. It has the ability to expose what's going on deep inside, the hearts and intentions of men. I think that's why the, the message in Acts 2 and in Acts 7 cut. It yeah. cut because it is a two-edged sword. 
And that's how the kingdom can be experienced as threatening sometimes. You know, how it can elicit a response that maybe might make someone walk away sad. So, what do we do with that? What do we do with that reality? Because I think it's a, it's a difficult reality in some ways. And I think one thing is, is to let people have their responses. Um, we're not the two-edged sword. We do not discern the thoughts and the intentions of man. That's not our business. And we do a terrible job at it anyway. (laughs) Here's a perfect example. Who was in this story collecting the coats of those who were killing Stephen but Saul? And Saul is the one who wrote some of these verses that I just read later on. Even then, the one who's now doing the kickoff for the persecution of the whole church, even then, we do not get to be the ones who discern the hearts and intentions of man. But this is also really good news when we can let people have their responses to the kingdom because it frees us up. We don't have to manipulate anymore. Isn't that lovely? (laughs) Because that's really, really exhausting to try and get a particular response from people to make sure that people are really provoked or that people just love this and they just, you know, that we're going to get on board. It's, It's not up to us. So now we can let that go and we can actually participate as full members in the kingdom of Jesus where now we're freed up to love all people even the Saul's that are holding the coats. And you see Stephen did this to his last breath. Forgive them. They don't know what they're doing. Who's that sound like? Okay. We're freed up to love and serve and heal regardless. Regardless. So let people have their responses. But I think that the other takeaway, oh, you know, I do want to say something else about that. When we let people have their responses to the kingdom, does that mean that we just allow anything, anything at all? We're, you know, because we don't matter. We're just pawn scum and living for Jesus, so whatever. I don't believe that at all. I, I, I think that it's okay to think about safety. You know what I mean? It, there's a lot of good things. But here's the black and white part of it. It's, it's nuanced as we work these things out with Jesus, okay? There's a, a story uh, when he escapes the crowd, Jesus does, Nazareth, his hometown, he teaches, and they're like so furious, they're going to go push him off a cliff, and he escapes their grasp. He doesn't say, I let anything happen to me, you know. In that moment, he could still serve the purposes of God and move to safety. It's nuanced, but if you want something black and white, the black and white piece is this, the kingdom of God first, Jesus first, everything else after, everything else. And that leads me to the next takeaway with this, and and that is to count the cost. Stephen is a good reminder that it's everything. The cost is everything. And and Jesus said this a lot. He asked us to count the cost. Um, He would say things like, it it was almost like he was talking people out of following him. You know, people would come up to him, and and he would be like, listen, I know that you're drawn to me, and, and that's right and good. I know there's an image of God in you, and it's like a honing device driving you to me, but just so you know, the Son of Man has no place to lay his head. If you follow me, that's, that's what you're up against, you know? Or he would say things like, servant's not greater than his master. If you're going to follow me, you've got to take up your cross and follow me. He even says, if, 
if you don't give up everything, you're not worthy to be called my disciple. And so, I mean, that's a really tall order. Everything? Everything. But then he also would say things like, the kingdom of heaven is like a treasure that was buried in a field. And somebody found it, and they were so excited. They reburied it, sold everything they had to buy that field. Or it was like a merchant of pearls who had this great collection of fantastic pearls, but then he found one pearl that was so valuable. He sold his whole inventory just to have that one pearl. So yes, the cost is everything, but everything will suddenly seem like pittance, you know, compared to the surpassing value of knowing Christ Jesus as Lord. So to count the cost, the invitation that I, th- that I think is here for us is to have some sober reflection and ask, what is my everything? You know, we're not all the rich young ruler. Maybe some of us are. But, but we all have something. We all have something that would be our everything. What is it that when the kingdom of God, when Jesus bumps up against me, what part of my identity or my security starts to feel a little threatened? And to have some honest reflection about that, not, not for shame, there's no shame in, in an inventory, but then you can have it in your hand and say, okay, this is my everything. This is what he's asking me to have an open hand with, like that song. Now we know that the treasure, or that the kingdom is like a treasure, like a pearl, right? You're going to make a great investment. It's, it's only natural to say, well, yeah, but can I see it? You know, let me get my hands on this if I'm really going to give up everything because that's going to put me in a risky spot. And there's a quote I just love by authors um, Bob Benson and, and Michael Benson, and this is what they say. The words of Jesus and those who would join him on the journey are, from John 1.39, come and you will see. And that is the order of things in answering the call to follow God on the journey Come, and then you will see. We are not given the privilege of seeing first and then deciding if we're willing to make the journey. However, the process of following God can be trusted. He knows every sparrow that falls onto the ground. How much more so does he know us and care for us? Come, and you will see. And look at Stephen. What did he see? Well, first he saw the story, right? He got it. That, that sight was from God, that he could see the whole history and see how, how real this is. This is the real, real. And then he saw the heavens open and the Son of Man standing at the right hand of God. This is the only instance in Scripture where it says Jesus is standing, not seated, at the right hand of God. So come, come. And you will see. Hallelujah. I'd like to share a painting. Um, this painting is by John Del Husay. I consider John a friend of Axiom's. Um, he's shown his art here before. He's a, a Bible teacher and a spiritual director, and as you can see, a painter. And I asked him, hey, do you have a painting of Stephen in your portfolio? And then it was like a week later, and he just posted this. And I think he didn't have one in his portfolio, but he made one, (laughs) which is lovely. And um, I should have written down the title, but I think it's called Forgive Them Them Their Ignorance. 
which is what he cried out at the end. So I, I'm, as we close here, what I'd like to do is I just want to have a time of silence. And um, if you prefer to close your eyes, if you prefer to look at the painting, but to just spend some time in a pause, knowing that, that God is, is with you right now, that he knows you very, very intimately, that, that he's good. He is good. And, and if you sit there in silence with him, that is time well spent. But if you sit and have you know, something come up, that, that's also good. So we're just going to take a pause, and then I'll break the pause with prayer. Jesus, we trust that you are seated at the right hand of God right now and somehow still here with us. <laughs> I ask that the message that, that you are, are saying to each one of us, nuanced, that you would plant it in good soil in our hearts. Lord, that, that we might know you as you are and you are good you are worth everything.